All right, three, two, and one. We are live with our next installment of CodeCast. Very special guest today in our Furious Competitor series. We have got a really good friend of mine, part-time comedian, big personality, and someone that carries a passion behind a cause, Alyssa Casada. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Wow, what an intro. So nice. You can't see me, but I'm smiling ear to ear. That was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. We do, we do our best work off the cuff here. So, <laughs> Alyssa is a huge, 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 I can't understate the word huge part of what is known as the Ramon Foundation, which is a wonderful charity that we will absolutely, absolutely talk about um, further on in this episode. Sneak peek. Big event by this time you folks are hearing this. There is going to be a wonderful event that she will host. Once again, we'll talk about that as well. But uh, just to give you more context behind the person that you'll see me posting on their Instagram story. Um, but Alyssa, first question we always like to ask. Obviously, you've taken a large part of your life and dedicated it to um, charitable causes and you know causing something really special. But... In learning more about you, can you tell us when you were a kid, like, did you, ever since you were a kid, know that you wanted to be a main face of a charity, or how, walk me through growing up, what it was like for you, so we can understand who you are as a person. Sure, so, it's kind of funny, because uh, I didn't know that the current job I have right now, I didn't know this could even be a job, I learned about that much later in college, but reflecting on myself as a child, I think there were definitely moments where I would be working in a field that helps other people. Uh, every time we would have, you know, the new kids at school, I was always the first one to introduce myself, see if they needed anything. Uh, in high school, I was volunteering at a nursing home, painting nails. So I think there were always these little, uh, you know, hints of what was to come, but I did not know that this was a job until I got to college. Got it. Okay. So, and were your parents like super big and you and volunteering or were you just born with like the kindest heart in the world? You're so nice. Uh, I think a little bit of both, maybe. My my dad is uh, a national treasure, is what I like to say. He is always the first person to help when someone needs it. And then kind of just growing up, uh, I think having grandparents that were a little bit elderly and sick, I think that kind of showed, watching my parents take care of them, the compassion factor that uh, you know I use in my job every day now. Got it. Got it. Um, so, so we... Now... Walk us through, obviously, finish high school, we go to college. Can you share with our viewers what you went to college for? Sure. So as I'm sure many, many of you have also had many different journeys on your, you know, finalizing what your degree is going to be in. I originally went to school for uh, fine art uh, painting. I wanted to be an art therapist. So I always knew I wanted to help people, but I wanted to be more in the clinical realm. So I was all set at DePaul. I wanted to be an art therapist. This was my plan. I started volunteering in the AIDS clinic at the Children's Hospital. You know, it was really set on what I wanted to do. And then I actually met with an art therapist there who kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, discouraged me a little bit. But I knew I still wanted to help people. So it was just a matter of time before I figured out what that looked like. Wait, I'm going to wind that back. You yeah. said art therapy. Yeah. All right, we're cracking that open. Tell us a little bit. I've never, ever in my entire life heard of that. Tell me more about like the science yeah. behind this thing. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful. It's it's a 
a newer form of therapy, so it's it's pretty understandable that you aren't as familiar with it. But basically, our therapists are used in you know different settings. Hospitals is where I wanted to work, and you work with the patients. Um, again, in my example, I wanted to focus on patients with eating disorders or adolescents with eating disorders. So a practice you would do would be, you know, draw me a picture of what you think you look like. And likely the patient would draw themselves, you know, in a completely different way than they appear. Uh, those patients sometimes have body dysmorphia, other things like that. So it's just a way of kind of guiding a patient through a healing process that doesn't include medicine, um, like traditional medicine. So uh, utilizing colors to help them describe how they're feeling, uh, use, using art to help them process the emotions of whatever they're experiencing. So um, I think it was started in, in the 70s. It's it's fairly new, but it's something that I think is really interesting, and I like the holistic piece of it. Interesting. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about practice what you preach. Alyssa, you said the term of draw how you think you look. For mm-hmm. the, I miss, how, when's the last time you've done that for yourself? Oh my gosh, I don't remember the last time I drew how I look, but I do paint still sometimes. Uh, all the art in my apartment, I made myself. It's just a matter of carving out time, which, you know, I know we're all really busy people, and sometimes the things that you're most passionate about, you don't really make as much time for as you get older and, you know, work a little bit more. So I do still try to paint um, occasionally, and I have a sketchbook I'm staring at right now on my coffee table. So I like to still do art when I can. Love that. Favorite? Okay, in. And- Sorry to put you on the spot. Favorite old school artist and favorite new age artist? Ooh, this is good. Um, I really love Mark Rothko. He's kind of an abstract artist. They, they're, he has a few pieces at the Art Institute if you haven't checked it out. Okay. Uh, a new artist, I'm blanking on her name, but she's an artist from Nashville. I want to say she's based out of Tennessee somewhere. Um, I found her on Instagram and she does these really cool, it'll be almost like a print of Dolly Parton or something. And then it has words almost graffiti over it. I'm really blanking on her name. I'll have to send it to you, but I really love kind of her take on, you know, taking something a little bit more traditional and making it a little bit more modern. Love that. Okay. Uh, we'll make sure once you figure that out, we'll put that in the show description of the mysterious artist. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we, we go to school, get out, have some life pivots, right? Like life never works according to plan. It's funny how that right. works. I always wondered them with art too, right? Some of the biggest masterpieces that we've ever come to see. Was that the original intention of what was going to get painted? I'm assuming yeah. most likely not a lot of times, but I don't, I don't know. No, I love that. So Jackson Pollock, who's another artist, he has some pieces at the Art Institute as well. He's known for kind of that splatter painting. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It yes. was I think of him when I think of this question because he would just truly start with, you know, a blank canvas and just splatter until his heart was content, you know? Like, I don't know that he ever had a specific vision. I don't know. I think depending on the type of art or the style of art, if you're doing more, you know, portraits and things like that, you probably have more of a vision. But I think abstract and things like that, you're kind of just going with what you feel. Interesting. Love that. I think the cool part about abstract is that I've started this year essentially to appreciate art because it's so subjective of what you think, like portrait, it is what it is, right? But like outside of most things, like it is what you perceive it to be. And I think that can tell us a lot about ourselves. Like if someone could find a way to psychoanalyze all the science of like what somebody sees behind a painting and finding Mm -hmm. collaborative traits, that would be fascinating, I think, 
to... It's a little art therapy-esque. I like it. Yes. We're coming full circle here. Um, Okay. So as we go out, now we go into the working world, and then we ultimately end up at the Ramon Foundation, and you're in a very specialized role. So I feel like it's kind of like a cool match. Like you find them, they find you, needle in a haystack situation. Can you walk us through, for the viewers, how you ended up at Ramon? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, when I uh, was little, when I was in college, I didn't know uh, fundraising was a job at all. So I started, um, helped to start a nonprofit in college called Dance Marathon, which a lot of the big state schools have them. IU, Iowa, uh, people are, I'm sure will be very familiar with them, but I went to DePaul and we didn't have one. So I helped to start that uh, when I was in college, which raised money for the Children's Hospital. And I really got a taste for what fundraising is, what event planning is, corporate sponsorships, you know, working with patients, things like that. And I absolutely fell in love with it. So I was lucky uh, slash stubborn uh, in my pursuit to work at the Children's Hospital. I was an unpaid intern for it was three months and I just kept asking to stay and stay and stay <laughs> until they hired me. So that was my first job out of college. It was my dream job. So lucky to work there. Um, a cause that's still really near and dear to my heart and taught me so much. So I was at Lurie for a while and then I moved over to Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. So number one rehab hospital in the world, um, helping to fundraise for traumatic brain injuries, veterans, um, stroke patients, you name it. And then from there, I went to Feeding America, which was completely different. Hunger Relief, uh, I think it might be the largest nonprofit now uh, in the country based on the COVID fundraising goals that we hit. And then I ended up at the Ramon Foundation, which they recruited me for this job. I actually, funny enough, it was a year. uh, They hired me last September. I was in the process of studying for the LSAT. I was ready to make a complete you know, complete turn in my career, but they recruited me for this job, which is honestly a dream job and something I'm so lucky to work here. And it's a job that you would expect to have a little bit later in your career, but they trusted me. And yeah, I, I absolutely love it. No two days are the same. <laughs> That's so much. Okay. So much to unpack here. One, the fact that when people are so, we love, especially on this podcast, people that are so driven behind a cause where you like, you kept saying like, I just want to stay. I just want to stay. I just want to stay like forcing your way to stay around the cause of what you want. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. Uh, Shirley Ryan also huge kudos to them. I feel as though, even though anyone that's any sort of medical related at all knows what that place is. Listen, you ever find that it might be one of the, unfortunately, best kept secrets in Chicago. Like it does so many cool things, but often does not get the credit of what it does. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair, a fair assumption. It's nice because it's in, you know, this hospital district, uh, next to Northwestern, Prentice, Lurie and everything. But it, since it is so specialized, you don't know about it until you need it, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, a good thing and a bad thing, right? If you don't know about it, it means you haven't needed to visit them, but they do really, really cool stuff. Um, the space is beautiful. It's brand new. They really focus on taking care of the patient, you know, uh, everything from, you know, treating them with PT and making sure the family is kept in the loop with treatments and care plans and stuff. They do a really nice job. Of that. It, Alyssa, you mentioned originally what started this, you know, service to others mentality is having older grandparents that were a little bit sick. Mm-hmm. At this point, obviously, it's, it's been a while since then. 
what's still your driving cause today that gets you up every single morning? And obviously, you work with obviously lorries. Surely, Ryan, you you have to have a heart that can just handle a lot of not rough situations, but things that are tough to see, which yeah. can obviously wear you down. Um, what keeps you still going today? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So I don't know. I think a few things. I think I always try to think, and I, I know some people might disagree, but life is a team game. And I think if we can all just be a little bit kinder to each other, uh, that would make the world a better place. I also always think about, I think the phrase is, you know, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone's fighting a hard battle you know nothing about. So mm. just, you know, remembering the humanity, I think it's really easy to get caught up in your own daily life and, you know, the world's kind of on fire, uh, especially the last few years. So yeah. I think I, you know, I feel really lucky that I get to make an impact directly, especially with this current job, working with the patients day to day, just trying to help them in any way that I can and taking, you know, a load off their plate when they are facing some of the hardest days of their life. I feel really privileged that I am able to do that. And, you know, I can't believe again that this is a career that people can have. So I just, yeah, that's kind of my mentality. Just be a little bit nicer every day. Alyssa, I am probably, well, I want to ask this. I, I, I know, I think where it might head, but I'm assuming, for better or for worse, because you experience situations like this, people going through the worst part of their life, how much peace do you have in a given day when like your coffee order is not exactly right or, hey, the bus or the train might be running two minutes behind? Do you get, because of what you do on a daily basis, do you really get phased at all by the little minute inconveniences? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I'm sure if my friends were on this call or even my family, by nature, I'm just kind of an unbothered person like to a it's kind of problematic like it takes a lot to uh, to upset me slash if you do something that should upset me I'm just kind of like yeah you know I don't know I'm just I'm very chill For sure. <laughs> By nature. but I do yeah definitely perspective um this job gives me perspective every day and it kind of if I can share that with people I try to when it is like you know oh they got my coffee order wrong well I just talked to a patient who was given three months to live so I feel like perspective you know is is uh, a good thing that people should keep in mind and it's hard you know when you're in the moment of something stressful all you're thinking about is how you feel which is completely valid but yeah this job and other jobs I've had definitely have shaped my mentality on you know not stressing the small stuff got it that's so, I mean, in, obviously you mentioned, jokingly, right, it might be too laid back to a fault, right? But if I were to ask you, would you rather be too laid back or super uptight about everything? Oh, I know. There's enough of those people in the world. We need we need to zen it out a little bit sometimes. For sure. Like, hey, it's okay. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Like, they don't have oat milk. Like, they'll be okay. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like, <laughs> um, got it. So, we can you walk me through a little bit more about the Ramon Foundation. So obviously, I'm assuming you didn't just take this job off the cuff because I, I actually was fortunate enough to meet you right when this was happening. Obviously, I know you mentioned there was a ton of thought to that, but what was the deciding factor for you to say, hey, I'm going to make the transition over to this? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I feel like we've all had jobs where you are working amongst a larger team and you know maybe you don't have as much say in a project or whatever you're working on. This really was an opportunity for me. Um, I'm the only employee, right? So I run everything. Um, fundraising, finances, marketing, 
patients. I mean, you name it. It's it's truly I. Of course, I have an amazing the family I work for. They're incredible people, and that was a huge selling point for me. Um, they're so kind and so motivated for this cause. It's inspiring to work with them every day. But in the sense of a career in a nonprofit, this is really a unique opportunity. And like I said earlier, something you don't really get unless you're a little bit later in your career. So it was definitely an easy decision for me just because this experience is wonderful um, in my career, but also this is a mission that I think is really important. Pancreatic cancer is sort of overlooked because the survival rate is so low. It's at 11% now. And I think we have a really good opportunity to make impacts with this foundation. Um, I can tell you a little bit more about it later, the three areas that we focus on, but it's really been fun. Um, they trust me and we work really well together to make decisions um, that are going to help these patients. We've also only been around for a few years, so everything is really new and exciting to us still. Love that. So much to unpack inside of there. So this is kind of cool, Alyssa. Do you ever find yourself like, obviously not for profit helping people, but you get to experience everything of being a business owner, but it's for purely helping people. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Super cool. With the pancreatic cancer side of things too, even my own fault, if you hadn't mentioned anything to me about that, I just knew it was incredibly painful with pancreatic cancer. Like that's just what I always know it to be. But I never knew about the survival rate being what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it grew. So it's 11%. Last year was 9%. So, you know, small wins we can take here, mm -hmm. but you're not alone. Um, pancreatic cancer, you know, affects, I think it was... 66,000 people every year. So it's a smaller number in the grand scheme of things, but it's still, you know, a deadly disease. And most of the time people will know about pancreatic cancer. Once you say it and you say, you know, Steve Jobs, for example, today's his, I think it's an 11 year anniversary of his passing. When you correlate it to celebrities or things like that, then people are like, oh, I, I know pancreatic cancer. I didn't know that's what he passed away from. Uh, the issue as well with pancreatic cancer is, you know, the pancreas is hidden, so it's often caught uh, much too late in the diagnosis, which is why it's so deadly. So uh, we have patients that have caught it early. We've had patients that have caught it a little bit later, of course, than they'd like. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely an important thing to raise awareness about and fundraise for. Alyssa, can you share with me that, okay, this is, you were, I just looked this up, dead correct. It was October 5th. <laughs> Yeah, so, I think I just saw it on our Instagram, to be fair. It's not not all kept in my brain. Either way, hey, you were the one that regurgitated the information. Um, we didn't plan this, actually, so this yeah, is yeah. cool, kind of like God sometimes lines stuff up the right way. Okay, um, in regards to, obviously, pancreatic cancer, as most people won't do the research, as you and I both know, a um, couple things in general. Like, in your opinion, obviously, listen, not being an MD or a doctor, right? We don't give out medical advice here. But is there simple things that people might not realize that can contribute to pancreatic cancer that are easy things that could be lifestyle changes or things that you can avoid that can greatly drastically change your chances of getting it? Or is it more yeah. hereditary based? Tell us a little bit more. So it's it's all of the above. Um, I hate to be that annoying girl, but I feel like, you know, common sense in the sense of eat healthy, stay active, take care of yourself. Those things are you know, equally important for pancreatic cancer and just living a healthy life. So that's something I would highlight. Um, genetic testing 
is something that's kind of important. So if you've had a family member who has had pancreatic cancer, you can do um, preemptive testing to see, you know, if you, and I'm probably going to misspeak a little bit on it, but uh, pancreatic, I think it's PanCan, does a lot of great work explaining how this process goes, but that's something that they encourage. And then I think there's other risk factors with um, a certain form of diabetes is one of them, and then uh, obesity and, you know, smoking and drinking. So it's hard, right? Any sort of illness, you yeah. know, you can go online. It's like you go to WebMD when you have a headache and you're like, <laughs> oh no, what, what am I getting into? Um, you know, just trying to stay active and healthy and being more aware of the symptoms. Um, pancreatitis is one of them as well. So just kind of knowing your, your risk factors. And like I said, if you have a family member who has had it before, I, I do believe you can do some genetic testing as well. I appreciate you bringing that up too. From the main reason, one, it's general good knowledge, but two, it's surprising to me that it's so often not regularly tested for, especially mm -hmm. with the survival rate being as unfortunate as it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also difficult with pancreatic cancer because it's not like, you know, all cancers are horrific, yes. obviously, but it's not um, in terms of awareness. It's not like a breast cancer where, you know, you likely, you know, someone who had it or survived it, hopefully. And there's a lot of, you know, cheering behind it. Like you're going to beat this. It's going to be okay. But unfortunately, a lot of the cases you hear about pancreatic cancer are because it was caught much too late and you know the patient passes away and so it's more of like a, oh you have pancreatic cancer so changing the narrative i think is something important um just for this community to work on and that comes by having these conversations and you know talking about what you can do in advance so you can catch something early on if you're you know capable of doing so Alyssa, i think that's such a credible point and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is the statistic of pancreatic cancer passing uh, was one of the reasons but two you mentioned the notion right of all cancers are awful mm -hmm. however if there's an equal amount of spotlight to be spread it's not equal at all right um, so that was one of the biggest reasons why I want to have you on here is to shed some light on this I, I've gone to countless childhood pediatric cancer uh, donations, charities, fundraisers, and stuff like that. Breast cancer, right, where there's exuberant amount of dollars just getting flooded into this, and I'm so happy for that. Yeah. Do you, in your experience, and I'm I'm totally hitting you off the cuff here too. Yeah. Do you know the average annual amount of dollars that's donated towards pediatric cancer research versus so, the billions that yeah. go to? This is a good question. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's kind of interesting, right? Because I worked at Lurie. Um, obviously, you know, September's Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, gold gold for pediatric cancer. It's so, so important. Um, but interestingly enough, out of a lot of the cancers, uh, pediatric cancer is still one of the lowest funded. So imagine how uh, little funding pancreatic cancer <laughs> gets when you, like you said, and same with me, I've been to tons of pancreatic or pediatric cancer events, um, definitely a worthy cause. And that's something that's super, you know, public facing, um, and pancreatic cancer receives lower funding than that. So I don't know the exact statistics, but again, pancreatic cancer is hard to kind of understand because it does affect 
comparatively a lower, uh, you know, a lesser amount of people. So the only real reason you would know about pancreatic cancer is likely you knew someone who's been affected by it. Uh, any sort of pediatric cause. And again, I, I, Larry was my dream job. Like I can say this confidently, like who, who doesn't want to help sick kids? I mean, if you don't, then some, something might be wrong with you. I would agree. You know? so it's more, um, it's understandable, right? Why people want to help sick kids. Definitely worthy. Pancreatic cancer is something that's a little bit different of a beast, I would say. So interesting, right? It's always, we just, and I think that's a hard part too, right? We always just assume things where it's like, oh, I've been to a million different galas or balls, so I'm assuming this has got funding, but, but you're right. Mm -hmm. it, the optic is not always what's there. Once again, art therapy, right? What you might see might actually not be the truth of the yeah. painting. Yeah. Thomas, you mentioned the Ramon Foundation's got three core principles behind that. And just so my ADD brain doesn't completely forget about it, can you <laughs> share with us that while it's still sitting in my brain? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really cool that we focus on these three areas. So first, um, and this is not in order of importance, of course, but uh, research, that's something that's really, really important to us, especially based on what we just talked about. So we fund research grants at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. It's one of the top cancer centers in the country. Uh, Bob Ramon, who this foundation was started after, he was treated there, had amazing care. They they just take the best care of the patients. And since they're so focused on cancer, you know you're really in the best hands. Uh, so we fund research grants at MD Anderson and then University of Arizona Cancer Center. So those are two places that we are um, actively funding research grants. At the end of the year, we're gonna announce, um, we have a five-year commitment to both of them. I won't bury the lead, you're just gonna have to follow along, but it's a pretty large uh, investment that we have made to both of them just to continue our commitment to show you know, how important it is, this research that they're doing. So that's point number one. Uh, number two, something that's pretty unique to us um, is this patient fund that we have. So this is out of Northwestern. Uh, it's a one-time assistance fund. So we get referrals mainly from social workers at Northwestern who are working with pancreatic cancer patients, and they can apply through us to receive one-time assistance, whether that's you know, help with a mortgage payment or parking while they're getting treatment, um, cell phone bills, we don't ask questions. Um, there's a lot of amazing organizations that do, you know, similar work, but there's so much red tape uh, and we just want to make it as easy as possible for these patients. They have enough going on. We don't want to give them a 15 page questionnaire just to receive a donation from us. So these social workers refer the patient, they apply. I usually have a FaceTime with them. And then I'll usually walk over to Northwestern and hand them the check um, or send it in the mail. So definitely one of my favorite parts of this job, seeing where the impact is going and meeting these incredible patients and learning about them and their stories, um, meeting their families. It's really, really a cool part of this job. Um, and then the last thing, this is, I think, pretty unique to us. It's called Homes of Hope. This is our initiative we raised money for last year. So we purchased a condo next to MD Anderson in Houston. It's about a 20 minute walk. It's a two bedroom, two bathroom condo, um, in unit laundry, a kitchen, a gym, really you name it. And we raised money to, you know, did a registry so we could decorate the condo. We opened it in March and it's basically uh, an opportunity for patients to stay while they're getting treatment for a really low cost. So we charge $25 a day. They can stay upwards to a month. Um, and it's a home away from home for them. You know, uh, the family, 
your own family, when Bob was down there receiving treatment, he was um, getting really great care. He was staying at really uh, nice places. And even for him, it, it didn't feel like home. You know, we want these patients again, let's take something off their plate, know that they can come back to this condo. It's peaceful, it's clean, it's quiet. Um, it's a really low cost, like I said. So we have been fully booked since March. We've had patients from Hawaii, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas. I mean, it's really, MD Anderson is so great. Everyone comes from all over the country. So we've been able to help patients in all different circumstances and it's been really great. That is super cool. That's such an amazing practice. I mean, because those, those treatments, it takes a while. Like you're not, so it's got to deal with the mental battle of being gone away and then, man. Right. Right. And just having two bedrooms, we wanted to make it so if they want family to come and stay with them and visit them, right? You know, yeah. with this treatment, you can have the Whipple procedure, which is pretty invasive. You can be doing radiation, chemo. There's a whole list of things that you may experience when you're going through treatment. So um, we just wanted it to be easy for them. That's why we picked it so close as well to the hospital. If they are feeling well enough to walk over there, we want, wanted to give them you know, a condo within walking distance. Um, it's completely outfitted. And then we have an amazing intern uh, down there. She is, I think a sophomore now at Rice and she's my eyes uh, in Houston. So she'll go and greet the patients, check in on them, see if they need anything. We also have two partnerships with HEB, which us Midwestern folks up here uh, are not as familiar, but it's a grocery store. And they donated some gift cards for the patients to use for groceries if they need them. So yeah, it's been really great. We want to just make it, again, our goal is to make it as easy as possible for these patients, whether it's with this patient fund or housing. I'm blown away at the attention to detail of that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I want to, you know, we, I'll have to send you a video tour because we, we did that once too. We also have a a map that we made of the U.S. and patients can put, you know, a push pin of what state they're from. So when other patients check in, they can see, you know, how many other states have come to visit. We, we tried to be super detail oriented. Love it. Alyssa, how many of these folks have you got a chance to meet that stay inside of this house? All of them, which is, wow. again, one of the best parts of this job. So similar to what we do with the patient fund, uh, MD Anderson has a patient navigator specific to pancreatic cancer. So she will refer these patients to us. They apply. Uh, I usually do a FaceTime with them or a phone call. And, um, you know, they go through a background check that we pay for, of course, just to keep things extra safe. And, yeah, we, we get them set up. And I usually text with them during the week just to check on them, see if they need anything. It's really a special, you know, again, I, I've said it earlier, but I just feel very lucky that I am in this position that I can work with these patients at this level. You mentioned the second program that you guys do of being able to provide assistance and walk over and hand somebody a check when they're going through one of the hardest parts of their lives. I'm almost getting a little bit emotional thinking about this. Yeah. Can you just, ex can you even put into words what those experiences have been like for you to be the beacon of hope in a moment of darkness? That That's so nice of you. So I, you know, you get a little emotional. I get very emotional. I get very fired up <laughs> about it, to be honest with you. You know, you asked earlier, you know, what keeps you going? Things like this, um, 
it's just some of these patients are dealt such a rough, rough hand and giving them something so small as, you know, a thousand dollar check, uh, it, uh, it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. And it says a lot about, I think their resilience of what they're going through. And I think it's a really brave thing too, for you to be in a position people don't like to ask for help, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's, it's a, yes, we're, it's a team game. And of course we're here to help them, but people don't want to ask for help. People don't want to feel like they're a burden to anybody. And it's, you know, they're already feeling like they're a burden because they don't want to ask their family to come with them to treatments. They, the last thing they want to do is admit like, Hey, I need a little bit of financial assistance. So it's, you know, definitely reminds me of the good in humanity. Um, and the fact that this foundation exists to help people with these things again, with no questions asked, um, we had a patient who, uh, her income for the year, I think it was $10,000. This was right when I started. And I think of her all the time income with $10,000 a year. Her rent was a thousand dollars a month. You, you know me well, Cody, I'm not a math gal, but it, that doesn't add up. Right. And, uh, it just being able to help her in some way, if I could have given her all the money, you know, I would have, but helping her in, in some way like that, I just know it had to have been, you know, really impactful and anything we can do to help them. Um, again, with minimal effort, we just want to make their lives easier as much as we can. In, in thinking of that with you being such a main fate, I'm not trying to like, you know, just keep showering you with the credit of this. I'm more or less asking <laughs> on the, the foundational part of Ramon with it being such a nimble organization where it's not, as we call it in the finance world, top heavy and fat. Right, where yeah. there's red tape that there's 80 million people on payroll. It, would you attribute your folks' ability to step into action so fast to you folks being so lean and saying, hey, we're just here to help? We're, is that a large part of it because it's so thin and leaned out there that you guys were able to act so quickly? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what you said is very accurate. I think also this foundation being started to honor Bob and his legacy. Um, the family, Paul, uh, Lauren, Connor, Tyler, they, they've lived this, they know what it's like. So that I think motivates them even more just to continue working towards, you know, hopefully eliminating this disease one day. But, uh, I, again, they are amazing to work with, uh, any ideas that we come up with, I have the full support from them to do. And it's a really beautiful thing. Of course, working at these big organizations, you make large impact as well. So not to discredit them, but coming from some really big organizations of, you know, 300 employees to being the only one, it's definitely different. <laughs> totally. It, it, like I said, we're a charity, not-for-profit is not-for-profit, right? It, it, I just, in watching just how the aspects of these things operate, I, you mentioned the one person, right, whose income is $10,000, right? She could apply for assistance from a large charity, right? But at some point, she'll probably get dollars. But <laughs> The time's ticking, right? Like I don't have access funds to keep like until you guys show up. That's that's really something. Have you been able to, I'm assuming if you're texting with these people, I'm assuming you've got to build some really awesome relationships with some of these folks uh, throughout the years? Yeah, yeah. So a patient we had stay with us recently, her name is Margaret. Uh, she is from, she lives in Texas. She's originally from one of the Carolinas, but she was at MD getting the Whipple procedure. She stayed with us with her husband. Her uh, kids came and stayed. She's 
so, so sweet. Um, she would text me updates when she finished her radiation. We actually had an interview with a news station in Houston and she was gracious enough to uh, be interviewed by them. So yeah, I definitely, like I said earlier, this is, a lot of people work in nonprofits, right? They want to help the yep. greater good. I am just in a really amazing position where I can see directly in front of me every single day who we're helping. Alyssa, as we are coming close to time here, a lot of folks will always want to ask, how can I be helpful? Can you just share with folks where they can best be helpful and create the most impact in regards to your cause? Well, you know, as a fundraiser, I love this question. Uh, So a few things, you know, definitely familiarize yourself with pancreatic cancer and, you know, those signs that we talked about earlier. That's something that I think would be really helpful just to continue raising awareness and having it in you know your everyday discussions. Um, of course, if you want to support the work that we're doing, we have some big goals over the next few years, opening a, four, a few more Homes of Hope uh, condos in different cancer centers across the country. You can uh, definitely attend some of our events, donate to help patients directly. And I feel like this is a perfect little segue maybe into this event that we have coming up next March. Tell us about uh, it. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, a lot of firsts with this job. Uh, this will be a first in my career as well. So we are hosting a charity boxing event at House of Blues Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Uh, we are recruiting charity fighters as well. So if you've ever felt like you wanted your Rocky moment, now is the time. Uh, we are going to be uh, having the fighters fundraise, but we are going to be paying for all of their fighting uh, training. So it will be... You know, it's a very unique event. It's not your typical seated dinner charity event. It's going to be really fun. Uh, and I just feel like how many times can you say you've been to, you know, a boxing event at House of Blues? Touche. So we've got either funds or fists you can yeah. donate. Oh, I love that. That's so good. I might have to use that. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. It's the least we can do over here. Um, so, Alyssa, thank you. I want to say thank you one so much for coming on. Um the cause of what you are working towards is so cool. And on top of that is just the passion you have around it, which is why I was so excited to have you on this podcast. Um, actually, in keeping with the format, yeah. um, because technically this started as a business and self-development podcast. <laughs> the closing question, we love to... There's actually two. Okay. Question number one. Yep. What's next? For Alyssa Casada. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Well, it's the second one. Let's see which one I want to answer first. You, you got it. No, you got it. The second one's an easy one. First one's the one we got. We got to go with the sequence. All right, fine. That's that's hard. I don't know. I'm just honestly, I'm so happy with where I'm at right now. I definitely, you know, like I've said, ad nauseum here, but I just feel so lucky that this is my job. I want to continue helping people and in the ways that we are working right now. Definitely our goal is to grow, and my goal is to grow this foundation too. Um, maybe hire some more people, open some more homes of hope, continue making an impact on people with pancreatic cancer. And second question, worst piece of advice you, cause you know like a lot of podcasts always, you're like, what's the best piece of advice you ever gotten? Yeah. I hate that. We always wanna use in a comedic fashion, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh my gosh. I mean, which one do I want to give you? <laughs> I I don't know. Like, I would say 
I think about often, you know, everything happens for a reason and I firmly believe that. But uh, earlier, you know, when I said I wanted to be an art therapist, I met with an art therapist and she was like, just don't do it. It's not worth it. And I think that's kind of bad advice. I think if you're really passionate about something, you should find a way to make it work. And I hate the phrase, you know, find something you're passionate about. You'll never work a day in your life. You know, <laughs> there's parameters around that, I think. But I do really believe that if you find something you care about and you know, you know, you can do it, you should do it. Don't listen to what other people say when it comes to that kind of stuff. I love that. Like, listen, you could, I could, you could have somebody come to you and tell like the survival rate of that's 11%. And yeah. you're like, yeah, well, it was nine a year ago. So, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, Eternal well, optimism, I think, is is a good thing. Like we always say, or positivity is a competitive advantage every single time. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll have links to everything inside the show notes. Hope to see you guys. And I just want to describe this to you. You've got, so as she mentioned, as someone who goes to you know a handful of charity events, and listen, I can't imagine how many you go to, a lot of these, <laughs> our average audience demographic is sub, sub 40 for sure. Probably sub 35 if you go to a bunch of these events, it is tuxedos. You might have some people moving their hips side to side on a dance floor and dinner. Once again, you go to charity events for the cause, not what it is. However, if I cannot stress, I am thrilled beyond belief to attend this event where you get excitement, House of Blues, downtown venue, Thursday night. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. All you can eat, all you can drink. I mean, I think that would be assumed, but you know, that might be... House of Blues mac and cheese? I don't know if you've had it, but 10 out of 10. We will do a live review of the mac and cheese as well. Uh, <laughs> listen, thank you so much for coming on. God bless your heart. And um, hopefully we'll have a bunch of viewers showing up uh, in March for Fight Night. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Absolutely.